Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do without significant capital. So this is a solo cast, and I want to talk on this solo cast about a few themes that have come out of deals that I've uh, done uh, and you know negotiated and done for clients recently. And um, one caveat I do want to say is that uh, when I say recently or refer to any deal, you know, as an attorney, I have attorney-client privilege issues. I never reveal specific things about any deal for any particular client, and nobody should read into the timing of when these uh, solo cast airs and the lessons I speak about or situations I speak about because, first of all, um, you know, uh, I'm talking about stuff that has happened over a period of time a while back, potentially closer, you don't know, and also... Uh, the uh, podcast air, uh, you know, months after they're recorded. So, um, so I just want to make that clear. Well, I'm not, uh, you know, uh, referring to any particular deal that you may have heard of that is uh, happening uh, simultaneously or, or soon before the podcast is launched. So the themes I want to talk about are the following. Patience, pacing, questions, and um, keeping relationship and then there's sort of, uh, you know, in that, uh, there's another piece of the conversation called, uh, you know, uh, how to deal with, uh, you know, comments like it's always been done that way or nobody's ever asked for that. Um, so over the last number of deals, you know, that we've done over a period of, of time, uh, some of these things have come up. And one of the things that uh, I find is, you know, the conversation of patience is really, really interesting. You know, uh, especially in a dispute, potential dispute or, you know, uh, dispute related situation. Uh, there's of, often an impatience with clients on um, on on getting things done. You know, they uh, they're upset about the situation, or it's a distraction, it's challenging, and it's natural to want to you know just get it over with. And it's also natural, especially when you feel you're right, to just say, "Hey, this is you know, just put it out there, tell them you know this is it." You know, um, and one of the things I really want to talk about is the value of patience. There, you know, there's one situation, and this has actually happened in many, but there's one situation over the last, you know, uh, six months or a year where um, I, uh, you know, I felt myself constantly actually slowing down the pace, you know, with the client. And in the beginning, that I think they were getting a little frustrated about it, honestly, um, because, you know, they had a clear view. And frankly, uh, it's part of it involved interpreting what a particular provision of an agreement said and what they were entitled to under it. And uh, they felt their reading was right. And by the way, I agreed with that. I think that definitely uh, was right. But as opposed to just going forward and making a demand and saying, this is what that provision says, this is what you owe the person. Instead, you know, what I did was I just um, asked for their interpretation, the other side's interpretation of it. And then what their offer was based upon that. So first of all, we got them to put something on the table before we took a position. Then I asked a bunch of follow-up questions like, you know, well, how did you calculate that? And what does this part of the provision mean? And, um, and really what that does is it allows you to gather information and allows you to get a deeper understanding and allows you to design a strategy that's going to be much more effective than if you just made a bunch of demands 
and the other side denied them or made a counteroffer. And too many people jump in negotiations to offer counteroffer or offer counteroffer without setting a context, without asking questions, without listening, and, uh, and using the value also of being patient. Um, now, that takes longer because when you're asking questions, they may take a couple of few days to respond. Um, they may not fully respond, which is often what happens. You got to ask follow-up questions. So it's so easy to want to shortcut that process. But I, I, I recommend resisting the temptation to do that. The second uh, piece that I wanted to talk about, which is sort of you know uh, related, it's not totally the same thing. Um, it has uh, more meanings, but it's it, it plays off of patience, which is pacing. And one of the things that I always say is that a deal, every deal has its own pace. And if you artificially pace, uh, force the pace forward too quickly, you're in trouble. And if you artificially slow down the pace too much, you're in trouble. So on the latter, you know, if, uh, if a deal has a certain momentum and you slow it down a lot, you're non-responsive or you're worried about something or you're not in communication, the other side is going to wonder whether you're, how interested you are in the deal. Is there a problem? They might start looking at all their alternatives. They may lose their momentum and just lose interest or, you know, what questions may come up in their mind that get them worried. So, you know, what, you want to be careful of that. And at the same time, and this relates to the patient's conversation and negotiations, if you artificially push the pace of a deal, whether it's because you're too anxious and you, you know, you want to just get to a resolution, um, you know, or uh, there, you know, uh, obviously there could be underlying business reasons why you need the deal to move at a certain pace. But frankly, you know, if you expose those and, and, and uh, let the other side know, you're at a disadvantage. And it's better to try to find ways to, to temper those or deal with the issues you're dealing with than to artificially push the pace of a negotiation. Unless, you, you know, those circumstances have you absolutely have to do a deal, in which case you should know that you're probably sacrificing some, something in the deal terms, something in the pricing, something in the negotiating, if you need to do that. So, you know, the conversation of knowing that there's a pace to a deal and trusting the pace and being comfortable with it is something that comes with experience in doing more and more deals and being a better and better negotiator. Uh, and it's, it's frankly one of the reasons why, um, you know, listen, there are certain deals that you as a business person should negotiate directly. And sometimes I recommend to the client, no, no, you should deal with that directly. Don't get me involved. It's either going to escalate the situation because you're getting a lawyer involved or, you know, whatever. But very often there are also situations in which it, you know, pays to have somebody, whether it's an attorney or a professional negotiator like I am or someone else to come in and, and because they, you know, we've done so many deals that um, we understand the conversation of pacing. We feel the way, the flow of the deal. And we use that to our advantages as opposed to artificially um, uh, accelerating it or slowing it down and therefore reducing the chances of a good deal coming. The next thing I talked about is questions, and that's sort of, you know, I alluded to this a little bit in the patient's conversation and talking about how I would ask questions about how, in that example, the other you know, side interpreted that provision and, and you know, what they think uh, would be due under it and things like that. You know, questions are a, a, such a huge, huge advantage, and they're underutilized. You know, people tend to want to get their position out on the table. They want to make an argument. They want to put uh, forth what they believe, you know, why they're right. And the, uh, the ability to ask questions and fully listen to an answer, even if you disagree with it, is hugely important because those questions do give you information. They do, uh, if you do it right, um, you come across as you should be, honestly, 
as caring about what the other, the concerns of the other side are, you know, of what they are worried about, of what is important to them. Because if you can understand that, first of all, if they feel that way, then they're going to continue more, be more likely to continue in the dialogue and move the deal forward than if they feel that you, uh, you know, really don't care about what's important to them. Second of all, like I said, they're going to give you information that's going to be useful. And third of all, that information gives you the opportunity to fulfill the needs and things that are important to them uh, as long as they don't conflict through what's important to you. So sometimes you don't realize what's important to someone else. And that could be a big, you know, give on your side or trade off a concession and negotiation in exchange for something else or just to build goodwill because it may not matter to you, but you couldn't give it if you didn't ask the right questions, try to determine what they wanted and what was important to them and what they're interested in. So, um, you know, use questions. Um, and you see how these relate together, right? Because if you don't have patience, you're going to push the pace. If you don't have patience, you're probably not going to be willing to ask a lot of questions and wait for answers. Um, you know, you're going to just be putting forth positions. If you don't understand pay, pacing, then you may get impatient. Whereas, you know, maybe you, you weren't, you know, you were patient in the beginning, but then it seems like it's taken too long and you don't understand the conversation of pacing. And if you really understood the conversation of pacing, you would understand it's all going on at the exact right pace. Uh, and then, you know, if you're not asking questions, then your odds of, you know, having a successful negotiating uh, negotiation and getting a deal done uh, go down. Uh, and uh, obviously, if things are falling apart, you're much less likely to be patient and, you know, trust the pacing. So they're, they're all related to each other. And they, you know, come up for me in specific situations. Um, and I use this, uh, this tactic all the time. And, you know, in the situations I'm thinking of recently, we've gotten really good results for the clients by doing this. In fact, you know, in a couple of situations, they were way beyond what the client expected. Um, because there was a way, I remember the client said to me on one of them, you know, that there was a way that it was like a chess game you were playing, Corey, and there's a way you sort of set them into different positions and then back them, you know, in, not into a corner, because that's a bad thing. If you back somebody into a corner, they're probably going to lash out. But you, you lock them into a position. You back them into a logical uh, series of events and conversations that had them uh, be in a very difficult position to, um, basically turned down our view once we were then able to put it, we put it out there because you had established a chain of logic that led exactly to what we were about to say. You know, in, in, in one case, there was a situation where uh, there was similar language in another provision that cut the other way. And if uh, the interpretation the other side would have had uh, that benefit that was applicable to my client um, would have hurt them significantly in uh, if the other provision was applicable and I knew the other provision was applicable to other people. So, you know, I said to them, you know, Hey, listen, you know, if, if I think your interpretation is wrong, by the way, if your interpretation is X here, it needs to be X in this other provision. I'm sure that you don't want that to happen in those circumstances. Um, you know, and that helped, uh, uh, win the day. So, um, yeah, so you know, keep that in mind when you're when you're approaching things, and and when you're um, whether you're handling the negotiations and the deal yourself, or whether you are uh, hiring a professional to do that. Um, you know, obviously, you want your professional to be responsible to you. You want to make sure they're on top of it. They're moving the deal forward. Uh, they are not getting in a way, but also um, it's counterproductive uh, for your results if you have the right person if you are um, trying to pressure them to move things forward at a pace that's not uh, appropriate to get your results. And, and, uh, and I'm always willing to push back to a client to say, hey, listen, I know you're anxious, breathe, you know, calm down here, trust me, 
here's why I'm doing it this way. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's something to seriously consider. Um, the other piece I want to talk about is this conversation of how you respond to certain things they say in a negotiation and also sort of how it relates to um, keeping relationship and why it's important to keep and build relationship even with uh, somebody on the other side of the table, whether that's the principal or whether it's uh, their attorney or other negotiator. Um, so, you know, we, we had, um, this comes up a lot, but I had a particular situation, you know, somewhat recently where um, a couple of statements came up that I've seen before and never swayed a day for me, but it, they're usually used to try to shut down a conversation. And that is, we've always done it that way, or nobody else has asked for that. I remember, I'm going to go back many years ago, in fact, decades ago, where I was actually a young associate. I was, uh, so we're going back a long time, folks. Uh, this is probably actually almost 30 years ago as I think about it. Um, I, was a very, I was a young associate. We were doing these mortgage-backed uh, securities deals. Um, so they were very, very complicated deals. They were actually some of the early versions, frankly, of some of the deals that ran into trouble in 2008-9. But the deals as they were done back uh, a while back were much safer for very variety of reasons I won't get into. But they were super complicated. I mean, the even the deals back then, which weren't as complicated as the uh, deals they have now, had hundreds and hundreds of pages of agreements. I mean, I remember there was something called the pooling and servicing agreement. That document alone was uh, 180 pages and had 40 pages of defined terms, 40 pages of defined terms. And of course, they all were interrelated. So they were very tough to understand. But as a young associate, I made it my business to figure these things out and understand them and really understand how the document flows, you know, flow because those deals were big at that time. And, you know, I said, first of all, it's just the way I operate. I can't, you know, uh, even as a young associate, when I had partners above me, um, you know, I couldn't operate where I was working on a deal I didn't fully understand and it didn't, you know, serve the client. So I remember back then there were a number of things that didn't work in the documents. I mean, these were documents drafted by a major law firm in, uh, in New York City they were actually the ones when Wall Street came up with this vehicle, they were the law firm that created the legal documents to affect those deals. And they were experts. They were, you know, it was a very good firm. Um, but, and they had done deals under these documents for about a year. I mean, they'd probably done, you know, 20 or 30 deals already. And I came in, this little kid, I start raising these issues with the documents, you know, about a dozen of them, about three or four of which were significant. The others were smaller. And um, I had raised them in a prior call with one of the uh, associates, sort of my level. And that associate just said to me, well, that's the way it's, we always do it. You know, we're the ones who, you know, the partner that I work for drafted these documents. They got it. They basically have to be right. It was clear to me that he didn't understand the documents, which was not unusual, frankly. I mean, there were plenty of people working on that deal on the investment banking side and on the legal side who didn't fully understand the docs. So, um, so, you know, I brought it sort of up the line and it ended up on an all parties conference call with, you know, the senior partner at my firm, at their firm and, and the senior partner at my firm is frankly looking at me like I'm crazy. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Cause I'm between us, you know, on this podcast here, <laughs> I don't think he fully understood the documents. So, um, and, and fortunately for me in that case, the senior partner at the major law firm in New York city, uh, not only did he fully understand the documents he wrote, but he was also a, um, guy who was confident enough in himself and that even in front of his clients, he was willing to say, you know, Corey, I think you might be right on that. Let, let us look into that. You know, I think you might have a good point there. And he used that as an opportunity to improve his documents. And I turned out to be right. The point of this relaying this story is not to show you, wow, look at Corey. It's that the pushback I got from the initial associate in a subsequent call with the senior associate and initially on the call 
um, you know, with the senior partner was, well, you know, we that's the way we've done it. It's nobody's ever raised that. You know, it's not been a problem in our other deals. Well, you know, that's never an acceptable answer to me. You know, more recently, I had that come up on something that, you know, my clients wanted. And listen, I was representing clients who had a leverage. Um, they uh, were uh, a very significant partner of this particular, you know, uh, uh, platform. And, um, and uh, you know, they had some leverage. So there were things they were pushing for on a business level that uh, other people didn't get, and they got them. And then there was some legal comments. And, you know, there's this interesting distinction between business comments and legal comments and how, you know, the, the business people deal with business comments, the lawyers deal with legal comments. There's some truth to that, but there's also, it's overplayed because legal comments, quote unquote, can become business comments, right? You know, if there's if there's bad language in an indemnity, an overbroad indemnity provision, that can cost the client a lot of money. You don't think that becomes a business issue? You know, or... There's a um, uh, language regarding the the division of duties between the parties. You know that the language may be legal language, but the business issue is who's responsible for what. Um, so uh, you know we we were down to the wire. We've been negotiating this deal for some weeks. It was going to close the next day. Uh, the other side was under pressure. They had several deals closing. We had like three deals closing. They had a bunch of deals closing. So it's easy to want to get things done. And at some point during the conversation, I heard nobody's ever asked that before. And my response was, that's irrelevant to me. And, you know, it was slightly testy, not seriously, but it was sort of like, you know, he was trying to shut down the conversation. Um, and, and the implication in nobody's ever asked that, uh, you know, before is either that, you know, you're, you're, you don't understand it or you're asking for something that's overreaching, um, you know, and they're just trying to shut it down. So, um, you know, I pushed back. I said, that doesn't matter to me. I said, listen, there's the reasons we need it, et cetera. Now, we ended up getting what we wanted. Uh, you know, we worked out some language. Uh, it was important to the client. And uh, we you know, did a little back and forth. And we ended up getting what we wanted, which was great. But one thing I did, and this, this ties into the uh, last piece of what I said I would talk about here, which is the keeping relationship piece. After we got off that phone call, uh, after, you know, there were a few pushbacks, testing exchanges, not, not like anything serious. There's a level of respect. They were great attorneys. You know, we, we had worked together to move this deal significantly forward. It's just that there were some points of contention, you know, and when you get down to the last item, sometimes it gets tough. Um, so after that all parties conference call, and when I, when I say all parties, I'm talking about all my clients were on, there were four different, uh, five different executives from the other side. There were several lawyers on both sides. Um, after I hung up the, the phone on that, uh, I actually called the senior partner of the other law firm directly. Uh, and said, hey, listen, just wanted to touch base one-on-one. I know we had some back and forth, you know, on the call. And I know, you know, there was some pushback there. Uh, and and I understand that you're, you know, you want to get this deal done and you got other stuff going on. You're under pressure. But, you know, this stuff's important to my client and, you know, no disrespect intended, but, you know, I need to represent the client. And, and he, you know, and he said, listen, I fully understand. He, he apologized for being short with me. Um he said, you know, we got a lot going on, which is I knew it was the case. Now, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Is it because I care, you know, that somebody's got to like me? Uh, you know, no, it wasn't that. I did that because, first of all, um, you know, I think just uh, my approach of working with other lawyers, other negotiators, investment, who they, who they are, is that, you know, especially the good ones, right, is that I, I respect them. I respect their position. I respect that they have to represent their clients. And it's not personal, right? Clients don't um, hire me to make it personal. 
they hire me and any good lawyer or paid negotiator or deal maker, investment banker should be hired because, you know, they can achieve the client's goals and, and be objective. Um, second of all, though, I know that that lawyer has influence over his client. And listen, we're all human. And although the client's going to represent, I mean, the lawyer's going to represent that client in their best interest, you know, how they advise the client on uh, how much of a big deal this is, or whether they could work out language, or how much they should push back or not push back on it, um, you know, is influenced by their emotional state and how they feel at the moment. And, you know, so if they're in a place of upset or anger, or they're look, you know, they're in a place that, uh, you know, uh, that they don't like me or whatever it is, it can affect their advice to their client, which could adversely affect my client. So, you know, one of the things I'm doing there is to sort of, you know, cool the situation, try to build, you know, and we had a lot of rapport and a lot of relationship. We've done a lot. So sort of, it wasn't even building rapport, sort of just reconnecting to that rapport and all the good work we had done together, you know, and reiterating that we were going to get this done and to work together to get it done and, 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 you know, take some of the heat off of these last few issues so that we could get them to conclusion in a way that uh, worked for my client and, you know, ultimately worked for his client as well. So, you know, that's just an example of how keeping relationship in a, um, you know, with the other side really makes sense. Now, listen, so if somebody's really doing something uh, manipulative or improper or whatever, you know, I'm not saying you're always going to sort of, uh, you know, sometimes you just want to remain tough. But, you know, if things just get, you know, a little testy, a little pushback or, you know, uh, people are getting frustrated, uh, that's something to keep in mind because uh, it makes a difference. So we've talked about patience, pacing, questions, how to deal with some of the sort of standard responses and keeping relationship. Um, those are, you know, a few of many things that it takes to not only negotiate well, but, but, but get a deal done um, and understand how, how to get a deal done. And we'll be talking about some of the other ones on, on, on you know, other podcasts in the future. But uh, these were just triggered for me out of um, some recent deals that we did. Had me thinking about it. I hope this... Uh, gives you some things to think about in your deals. So thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there is only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor, other than that owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals. And then they take action. It's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.